Welcome to episode 60 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Madi and Val. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Madi and Val, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Today we are going to talk about Tradition 2. Tradition 2 says, For our group purpose there is but one authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. And there's a lot of stuff in there and some weird language like trusted servants and uh, and how do we have leadership without governing and yeah, so we're going to talk about that sort of thing today, about how how it works in our meetings, how it works in our lives. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of Tradition 2. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. With me is co-host Adrian. How are you today, Adrian? I'm doing great. Thank you. Okay. And the first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, Tradition 2. Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives. We will follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. We have a reading. This is from a blog called the Al-Anon Journal. And Adrian, could you read this? Uh, certainly. Um, it's called In Training, I think. Uh, beginning with the tradition, for our group purpose, there is but one authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. I know the traditions don't get as much attention as they should, but more than any other tool in Al-Anon, Tradition 2 is one of the most effective examples that leads me to something I can understand as a higher power. I have never been someone who believes in God as a separate being, looking down from on high and puppeteering the universe with his or her omnipotence. Fortunately, this program doesn't require that kind of leap from me, which was so wise on the part of our founders. My concept of God can be completely different from your concept of God, and yet still there is enough common ground on which we can build our own respective programs. As an Al-Anon group, we are comprised of a variety of personalities, each coming to the rooms with our own individual story. In any other environment, many of us would likely never cross paths or become friends. And yet I look around at all the wonderful relationships developed in program and wonder, how does it happen so effortlessly here? It's partly because in this little microcosm of life, we train ourselves to operate differently. Each of us brings our own unique perspective to the table, but program teaches us that none is more right or more true than the other. We learn to listen instead of advise. We are each allowed to be exactly where we are that day in our own recovery. Sometimes there are good days, and sometimes there are bad days. Some days slippage, and some days incredible progress. We practice mutual respect for each other, and over time, it allows for these unique relationships to develop in a way that they could not were we competing for leadership of the group like we do out in the real world, where judgment and measurement are allowed to run rampant. Imagine if these same rules applied everywhere. In program... The competitive and self-serving tendencies in each of us kept us in check, and that which is compassionate and loving is given room to show up and participate. It allows us to expose our deepest vulnerabilities to each other with trust. For me, this is the true expression of a higher power. When that which is common among us is valued over that which 
isolates us with our egos. When our compassion for another leads us to accept someone in trouble and reach out with love instead of judge and take advantage of them to further our own agendas. If that isn't God, I don't know what is. I've learned that although I still can't imagine God as a being whose arms will never will ever wrap around me, I know I witness its power in these rooms on a regular basis. And given enough time to absorb how it works in the program, I am hopeful that I will learn how to cultivate it in the rest of my life as well. Thank you. Um, and, you know, I found this, found this reading, um, and when I read that last paragraph, starting, if that isn't God, I don't know what is, um, that was, I don't know, it really spoke to me. I think it, it fits well with my concept of higher power, um, which sort of permeates all of us and, and our group and, and speaks to me through, um, through the group, through other people. Um, I really, I just really liked the way she had, uh, sort of couched this and, and framed it. And I uh, thought it would be a, a good start to our uh, our discussion today. Um, there, I found also um, there's a, a reading on courage to in in our book Courage to Change, which has um, I pulled pulled some points from it about um, how tradition two works in the meetings. So as we strive to conduct our meetings as a fellowship of equals and to practice rotation of leadership, no single member has the right to take charge. When I insist on having my way, I am tampering with the spiritual nature of Al-Anon as a whole, and any attempt to manage or direct is likely to have disastrous consequences for group harmony. I don't know about disastrous, but I think it can happen. Um, you know, when one person sort of steps in and, and tries to run the meeting um, however they want to. Um, and so I, I sort of feel like those those points start to address this question of, well, what, what, why do we have this tradition? What is, you know, what is its purpose? And... Uh, I wonder if you have some thoughts on that, Adrian, at this point. You know, I do. Um, in, in that first reading, um, initially, the, the thing that, that sticks out to me is I think a lot of people do struggle with that, uh, higher power issue. Not everyone has that pre-made version, um, mm-hmm. of, of what, what it is to them. But, uh, certainly the group can be seen as a higher power and sort of, I was thinking about this and, and almost w- when you, when, uh, when Alan and members get together uh, as as a group, um, we we become more than just the sum of the parts. Um, we become a whole, and it's like the the group itself sort of takes on a living a living breathing um, existence all of its own. Um, and and I can see that that is a sort of a higher power um, and a consciousness as well as a group conscience, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and about the courage to change readings. Um, yeah, I, especially that when I insist on having my way, I'm tampering with the spiritual nature of Al-Anon. Um, you know, in that sense, we're we're questioning our higher power, which is um, what we're not supposed to be doing. Um, so, and and forcing our way means that we're ignoring somebody else's, and uh, so we really have to trust that higher power, that group conscience, um, because when we uh, when we talk our way over everything, we're we're not hearing. Um, so, yeah, and uh, there's a safety, uh, I think, that's, you know, when it talks about disastrous consequences there, I think, you know, part of that is disrupting the safety of the group and mm. the trust. Um, yeah, that's true. That, that is totally true. We come in, often come in not trusting anybody, anything, 
ourselves, our loved ones. And then here we are in a group full of strangers and we're supposed to be sort of burying our deep, dark secrets, our souls. And how do we, how do we trust the group? And so if there was, if there was one person who was like, you know, the leader, the, the person in charge of the group, then even if that person was very well-meaning and very wise and, uh, you know, whatever other words you want to put there, spiritual, uh, um, it still would be having to, if, if you didn't like or didn't trust that one person for some reason, I mean, maybe, maybe their voice sounds like somebody who has hurt you in the past and it has nothing to do with that person. Um, you know, that would damage your ability to, to heal, to use the group for recovery. Right. We don't want the group to take on the personality of a single person. Um, either the groups have their own personalities. Um, and it's interesting in my head, the tradition seems to divide. I mean, it's, it divides into two, I think, two different things in there. First of all, uh, for our group purpose, there's one authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. And then the second one is the fact that our leaders are trusted servants. And that has, that's a whole different conversation there as well. It is. It is. So let's, let's stick with, maybe we'll stick with the first part here, which okay. is because I can't really think of a group an organization that I've been a part of that is as seemingly unorganized in any sort of official way as, as Al-Anon. And yet it works so well. And, and I, I, I often find myself sort of looking in wonder at how we manage to have a meeting every week. We manage to pay rent. We manage to, have literature available, we greet newcomers, we follow rules, if you will, that the group has decided on. Uh, you go into a meeting, and maybe it's a new meeting, and so you listen in the introduction, and the, and the group says, and, and the person who's doing the introduction, who may be a different person every week, says, and this is a no crosstalk meeting. How did that happen? Who decided that? Right. You know, did somebody say, yeah, we're starting this meeting. I'm starting this meeting and it's going to have no crosstalk or I'm starting this meeting and I love crosstalk. We're going to have crosstalk here. Is that, you know, um, and then it is that way forevermore or does it change? And, and these things are just totally not obvious when you first come to a meeting. It's like, well, this is what this meeting does. Okay. Somebody must have set it up this way. Right. Um, <clears throat> Maybe they don't realize that they they could have the chance to change that. I mean, perhaps all it takes is one person to say, "Hey, maybe we don't want it to be a crosstalk only, you know, no crosstalk meeting." Then the group conscious talks about it as a group. Yeah, and and in, having been in a couple of groups for a long time, I certainly have seen that happen. Where um, the my the group that I consider my home group, which meets on Wednesday nights, is a very large group, and has a certain format, which is different from most of the other meetings uh, in the area because that's, I mean, partly because that's what the people who started the meeting wanted it to be like, but also because those of us who come to the meeting and who participate in the group conscience, um, I think see the, the value of the format. Um, but we have changed things. Um, some some years back, somebody said, you know, we should really do a series of meetings focusing on the 12 steps. Because in when I first came to, to that meeting some years ago, 
uh, it, it was every week there was a person who opened the meeting with a topic of their choosing and did uh, a 10 minute lead on that topic. And then sort of the, you know, people, other people who shared during the meeting tried to, tried to share on that topic. And, and if somebody doesn't, we don't jump up and say, no, you can't, that's the rule here. You have to, you know, because it's not really the rule. It's just expected. Mm -hmm. um, but somebody said, we should, we should focus, we should have some focus on the steps. And so, we said, well, how are we going to do that? You know, and this was a group conscious decision. I think the discussion probably went over a couple of months to give as many people as possible a chance to, to contribute. And we decided that we would start at the beginning of the year with step one and every week for 12 weeks, we'd do a step. And we did it that way for a couple of years. And then somebody said, how about if we spread this out through the whole year instead of like cramming all the steps into the beginning of the year? And we said, oh yeah, okay, let's try that. And so so now for the last couple of years, we've got, we do step one on the second week of January, step two on the second week of February and so on. Um, we also changed the lead format. It, it used to just be a 10 minute lead on a topic of somebody's choosing. And, and we said, you know, um, we should, maybe we should, we, well, somebody, I think, again, the question came up in some meetings when there's a newcomer, then, you know, you break off a group and it does, we, and, and that group talks about the first step with the newcomer. And this, since, since this, this meeting is a large meeting in a big circle, you can't break off a small group that sort of, you know, yeah. breaks, breaks that, that tradition of the group. And so we said, well, what can we do? And, and we get lots of newcomers. Like we probably have newcomer every week at least. And so you can't do a first step every week because that's not fair to the person who was going to do the lead and you know, mm -hmm. spent some time working on a topic. And so, uh, again, you know, with some discussion and we decided to once a month, have uh, a sort of a first step lead where somebody gave a 30 minute talk about, you know, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now, um, in that format. And, and so it changes and different people come up with these ideas and we talk about them and maybe we push them around a little bit. Like we didn't want the first step talk to fill the whole meeting. We still wanted time for people to share afterwards. So we said 30 minutes. Um, but that was, that came out of this discussion and, 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 the, you know, the will of our, of, of, of our collective higher power is expressed in, in the, the people who participated in that. So over the years, I've seen how this works, but it still amazes me that it works sometimes. <laughs> I think it's important for people to realize too, because they mean, if they've never been to many meetings or no meetings at all, just the fact that there is such a thing as a group conscience that um, is actually a meeting that happens usually once a month uh, before or after the meeting where these kinds of decisions are made and people bring things up and um yeah i in 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 our opening for the the wednesday night meeting um on the first meeting so the first first wednesday of the month we have a group conscience after the meeting every every week every every month i mean and we say this is a, a short meeting for caring for the health of our meeting hmm. and i think maybe friday night uses some words like that too i don't remember I can't remember the exact words. Yeah, but it's something like that. Um, and uh, it's because everything else, I mean, you know, you go to a church, there's a leader, right? You know, you got your minister or um, or some lay person who is, you know, the decider, as it were. Um, was that George Bush said that? Decider. I'm the decider. <laughs> I think it was. I'm know, the we don't have a decider. And, uh, and that's, there's some real power there. So I guess, you know, I sort of talked about um, 
how does it work? I, you have other thoughts on on how this works that that we we get these things done that seem to require somebody to be in charge without anybody being in charge. I think somebody. I, I think it's just the fact that somebody being in charge would just mess it all up, <laughs> frankly. And and again, the the idea that um, I don't know that somebody is doing it other than us. You know, it's not you know it's not just us as individuals doing this. So we mm-hmm. we sort of count on the fact that it will get done. We have faith that it's going to get done, and it and it does, and we all take part and. Uh, and become a part of that decision-making process, but I, I think it works because we have faith that it does. Hmm. Or that Interesting. It, will. it works because we have faith that it works, and therefore it works. Yeah. It seems circular, but <laughs> <laughs> faith is like that sometimes. <laughs> uh, I I um, I wrote to uh, Ruth, who's been um, a frequent uh, contributor and uh, and correspondent uh, over the over the year. Uh, to say, hey, you know, could I could I talk to you about tradition two? Because I talked to her about tradition one last last month, and I didn't really give her a lot of leave time uh, because just because um, I procrastinate, and uh, and so she wrote back and said, well, she didn't really have time this weekend. She had a busy weekend, but she did send some thoughts. She says, in the second week of January, my home group does the election for services. This time, I was looking at that date with anxiety. We were a core of about 12 people, which is reduced to six because most of the people who weren't coming anymore to this meeting moved to another area, and there are some who just disappeared. Some of the long-timers said in the past, I have already done each and every service, and my anxiety added, and I won't do it twice. So I thought it was my task to prepare myself to be able to manipulate my fellows so that they would volunteer once more Otherwise, our meeting would be at risk. If I couldn't do that, I would just sit, do it all alone, and if I was the only person who would sit there until more people would join. Writing this, looking back, I feel ashamed like a fake, pretending to work a program, but having this kind of thoughts. Indeed, I have to giggle right now. Thanks to God, I read the second tradition in Paths to Recovery. I saw my own limits, recognized how much fear impacted I was, and came back to trust my higher power and the people in my meeting, too. So when we started the meeting, I first shared what I feared and expressed my wish that this meeting would continue. I said that we don't have to stick to strict rules, like for our group purpose there is one authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Indeed, I thought we should do elections and organization in the second month of the second uh, the second week of the second month, when we usually talk about tradition too. But again, I'm free to mention that tradition when I think it is useful. What I found out at the very beginning was how the long-timers really finished this sentence. I have done each and every service. So it is no problem for me to do it again if nobody else wants to do it. So we had assigned the services very quickly and agreed that if new people joined the group, they can apply any time for a position to get the benefits of doing service in Al-Anon. On Sunday... I will travel to a district meeting, going doing my service as group representative. Again, I take some fear with me because I think we have an issue with a certain group of leaders. But I will take my experience of hope from my home group with me and try to be open, accepting, and trusting in our higher powers. As I said before, I like the traditions so much because they help me a lot in my life outside Al-Anon. If it is with my family, my friends, and especially at my stressful workplace, this tradition teaches me that I also don't force solutions there. The experience showed me that if I take time to listen and consider as much as possible and healthy for me, the needs of other people, the easier it is to come to a sustainable result. 
On the other hand, I understand that I have an obligation too. I have to tell my opinion. I have to take the responsibility to do what is given me to do. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Of course, when I signed a work contract, I'm bound to the assignments my boss gives me, but it is on me to decide how I want to fill my role. Looking at people as equals, regardless of their rank in a professional or social hierarchy, makes us more living beings which share the struggles in life. Once, my department was getting a new boss from another country, and there were lots of rumors going around and people were quite anxious about the upcoming changes. I met him by accident on the floor when he arrived, a man around my age, tired from the journey, and maybe anxious about the people he would meet. So I put forth my hand and said, welcome, how is your journey, do you know the way, and how about a nice cup of coffee? I could see how he could relax a little. Later on, working with him was very smooth for me, while my colleagues had different experiences. I didn't do that on purpose to get an advantage, but just to connect to another human being, which is joy in itself. I would summarize the second tradition for me like, be in contact with my higher power and other people and step into your life. Take what you like and leave the rest. I wish you a good 24 hours, Ruth. And uh, I like the way she she brings it um, into her personal life as well. And I found a whole bunch of um, readings and meditations on the internet about step two and one of them taught, or tradition two, tradition two, one of them talked about how this tradition reminds uh, him to not to let the other person in relationship um, sort of abdicate from participating in decision making. Hmm. Um, and I thought, well, that's an interesting, that's an interesting perspective. It sort of turns it around because um, it's, it's not only do, Maybe I want to take charge of things. Uh, and then when somebody else says, well, I don't, you know, I, I don't really care or I don't feel qualified to make that decision, that just feeds into my desire for control. Uh, and, and so in this interpretation, this tradition uh, reminds me or, or suggests that, that I should actually maybe encourage shall we say, the other person to at least express their opinion. True. Uh, even if they don't feel qualified to make a decision, they probably have something to contribute. I think there's an art form to that, too. Um, it's interesting. when I, I didn't read the that same reading that you read, but when you said don't allow the other person to abdicate from, from decision-making, we also can't force them to, pers- to participate either. Well, um, true. And I've had the argument, so uh, what do you want to do for dinner? I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. And, yeah. you know, and I find myself in a position, you know, you can't force the other person. You can only, you know, corner them for so long before yeah. you finally oh, yeah. have to make that decision yourself. But, um, yeah, and I think part of, um, you know, participating as, as in a group like this is to, um, although we can, like you say, encourage others to participate, um, sometimes maybe it even takes stepping back. Um, you know, uh, on the part of the people that do tend to take control more or um, there's a certain amount of stepping back and encouragement, even though we can't force people, but we have to sort of create that vacuum for other people to, to step in and, and step up and be a oh, part of it. Yeah, now that's, that's an interesting way of putting it, creating that vacuum. I see that happen in, in my meetings almost every week where it, if the meeting does not have crosstalk and if the tradition of the meeting is that you share once, hmm. uh, then sometimes we find that vacuum forming when somebody's finished sharing and nobody else is, is ready to share. And it does create a little bit of a tension. And 
And eventually somebody says, okay, <laughs> yeah. I'll talk now. <laughs> um, I was at a meeting recently where uh, somebody spoke up and, and said, hi, I'm, I'm so-and-so. And then paused for a moment and said, I had to get that out there because that means now I have to say something. I understand that feeling. I totally do. When I'm not sure I want to talk, I'll just like start. And then I was like, oh, see, put myself on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we, 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 we do, uh, we do encourage people to share by, by providing a silence into which, into which they can share. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, I had some, I had another thought here and it's, it's eluding me right now. But one of the things that struck me as I was thinking about tradition two is, you know, putting putting the working of the group into the hands of a higher power uh, is it it makes it very much to me like sort of a combination of steps two and three, maybe more like step three for the group as opposed to for the individual. And and I don't know, it's just an, an interesting uh, parallel. I don't know if I have much more to say right now on that. I, I think I do because. Um, you you mentioned something about that in your notes, and I read in um, the Tan book, Path to Recovery, they talk about it too, and they actually bring it in, not just steps two and three, which seem the most obvious, but starting with one. Mm. Um, I'll read the, the quote. Tradition two shows us how to practice the first three steps as a group. We admit our own limitations, come to trust a higher power to guide us, and then turn the group conscience over to that power. So it's almost uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And and maybe that's part of the difficulty that that I had with this whole concept at the beginning. If I even saw it at the beginning. I mean, I know that um so in in the meeting I started at, which is the Wednesday night meeting, um we read the tradition of the month at the beginning of each meeting. And so I I started in April, so I didn't get around to tradition 2 until I've been in the program 10 months, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe I hadn't even really heard it before. Uh, but I'm sure that, that when I first started coming to meetings, I looked at the, the sort of the long timers in the meeting, uh, you know, maybe the person who stepped up at the end and introduced themselves and said, welcome to the meeting. Here's my phone number. Call me, which of course I didn't. Right. Uh, or the person who at that time was leading the beginners meeting, which this meeting has a beginners meeting after the meeting every to, to welcome newcomers and, and give them a place they can ask some questions and talk about their story. That's not this big intimidating circle of um, now it's 60 to a hundred people. When I joined the group, it was more like 20 to 30, but it still seemed very large at that time when I was just stepping in. And so, you know, the person who, who was running the beginners meeting, I sort of saw this person as a, a leader of the group, maybe sort of in charge uh, not realizing that she was just doing it for that month or whatever, and somebody else was going to do it. Um, and, and you know, that's another aspect that actually we haven't touched on really is this rotation of leadership that uh, um, we step up, we do some service, and then we step back to let somebody else. That's another aspect of the vacuum, right. I we suppose. We create that vacuum, right. Um, I think that rotation is critical what you just said when i when i first started going to meetings and you see someone leading the meeting and i thought oh well they must be you know this important person who runs the meeting right because i didn't really know how that worked or you, know, you just sort of look up just automatically you're looking up to the person standing in the front talking to people at first or yep. Yep. and 
and and not realizing that uh, it could be you a few yeah. months from now. <laughs> Whoa, it could be me. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I remember that experience. Uh, we started uh, started going to uh, an open talk series um, that uh, meets at a local hospital, and at the end of the meeting, they do uh, anniversaries, uh, sobriety anniversaries, because it's AA open talk meeting. And there was a person who, when I started going to that meeting, did the, did the anniversaries. And the, f- then I stopped going for a little while and I came back and somebody else was doing the anniversaries. I thought, <laughs> no, it has to be this person because this is who it always was for me, you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, come to realize that, no, this is, this is the way we do things in, in our meetings is, is we don't have some, the same person doing it forever. Uh, because, you know, we all need to have some service for one thing. And again, I lost a thought. I need to be taking notes. Um, this happens to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is why you like writing over speaking, right? It, absolutely. Yeah, um, like, the, I, I can pick something up for okay. a second, and yeah. that's um, just the, the phrase, our leaders are but trusted servants, yeah. um, because we think of leaders as being – person telling running the show telling us what to do um behind the scenes running it and in the case of of the program you know 12 step programs the leaders are servants um and we all get a chance to lead at some point and uh leading is service and service isn't this menial thing it's like this sort of a, a, a thing that we're honored to do and that we we do in order to run our program Right, right. Well, and and we get to step 12, and it says practice these principles in all our affairs and carry the message to others. Mm-hmm. And service is part of carrying the message, and it really is. So it's something that we we do for our own personal recovery as well as, uh, as, well as to help others, um, that we do things to be of service. Um, and it helps to bring us out of ourselves, and it helps to – I mean – for example, this podcast, okay, which mm-hmm. is not, I mean, it, it's part of my personal program, okay? This is not part of the Al-Anon program, but it is part of my personal program, and it really has strengthened my recovery in so many ways, partly in just, you know, in terms of sort of deepening my understanding of, of what's going on in the program, but also in the responses that I get from people who are listening, um, that I am doing something of value and, and part of my sort of personality, my, you know, character defect, if you will, is this feeling that, that I'm not worthy, that, uh, you know, I'm just bumbling through life, screwing things up left and right. And so personally, I get a lot of support and I get a lot of, I get, I get help for this particular um, aspect of my character uh, that that helps me to uh, maybe have a little bit more self confidence or a little li- little bit less um, whatever the opposite of self confidence is uh, fear fear yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uncertainty doubt um, and and it and it is forcing me also in in many ways to I mean to to move outside of the, the comfortable defect of, of a lot of different things that I, 
that I would rather, you know, I would rather not have to find co-hosts every week. You know, I mm-hmm. just, I would, I, this was the, 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 the beauty of this at the beginning was there were three of us that were doing it and, and we were, we were all together. And so, you know, it was just, it was just a matter of finding a time and a topic. Um, and, and that was very comfortable for me. And then when it came that I had to reach out and ask people to participate, that's very uncomfortable for me. It kind of sounds like your higher power just upped the ante there. My higher power upped the ante on me. And so in doing this service and in wanting to continue to do this service, um, I have to move into to things that are not so comfortable for me, which is growth, which is good, which improves my program. And so service helps me in this way. And it also, I'm, the service that you're doing with the podcast is also helping so many people, not just the people that are listening, but, you know, people like me that you've asked to come on the show yeah. and actually talk because we're getting out of our own comfort levels too. You know, it, this is not my comfortable spot. Um, yeah. but the thing that I wanted to point out that was really interesting in the same way that our, our meetings, um, take on their own, the, they become alive almost each and every one of your podcasts. Once you start it, you know, once you, say hi you know i'm spencer and welcome to the show the show takes over um your higher power you know our higher power takes over uh for each and each individual program and so then there's that faith that well it's going to work out just the way it's supposed to work out just like every meeting everything yeah it's uh and we get to the end and and you know i put it to bed and and i think oh but i didn't talk about (laughs) <laughs> I didn't say, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which is the experience that I almost always have in a meeting too. And, and so what that brings it around to for me is, is something that, that my sponsor told me probably the first time I was going to do a lead in a meeting, uh, that I just have to trust that my higher power is going to lead me to say the things that somebody else needs to hear or that I need to say. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little off topic here, but but I had this experience actually yesterday at a meeting um, where it was uh, the meeting was about step eight, which is made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And I started talking about how difficult it was for me to even think about making amends to the primary alcoholic in my life, who at the time I did step eight the first time was still drinking. And so I was like, no way, no way. But that, and now that, now that she's been sober for a number of years and, and I came back around to, to step eight as I worked through the steps a couple of years ago, um, I did find some willingness. Um, I made some amends, but it, it, it was very difficult. And, and what happened then was as I was talking you know, I had sort of said what I intended to say, but I kept going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kept going and I talked about um, sort of rebuilding intimacy that used to be there and that ha- we had lost in, in, in the drinking years and that, and my difficulty in, in reestablishing that, and, you know, that, that I think she's further along that path than I am. Um, and, and how this is something that I have to ask. I have to ask for help daily, um, and I have to practice new behaviors. And I was not intending to say any of that, mm. um, but it just sort of completed where I had started, I think. And and afterwards, 
um, you know, a couple of people came up and said, um, you know, thank you for what you said. Uh, and, and so obviously it was something that needed, somebody else needed to hear that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so doing service sometimes helps us, sometimes helps others. Um, and doing service for the meeting keeps the meeting going, which obviously helps, helps everybody. Um, so we've talked a little bit about, um, using, using this tradition in our lives. Um, and I was thinking, uh, after, after reading, uh, Ruth's thoughts about using it at work where, you know, there is, uh, there is a chain of command. Uh, there is somebody who is in charge, who is the decider. Although the organization I work for, I mean, yeah, we have a president and I have a boss and, and ultimately, if they make a decision, the rest of us will do it. Uh, but the organization works in a very cooperative manner. And so we, we eat, we do, a lot of us get to have, get to say our, our thoughts, get to say what we think, perhaps around questions that were brought to us by our leaders. Um, and, and there is a sort of, I mean, right now we're, we're in the process of sort of redesigning our whole web offering, redesigning and re-implementing. And, and the organization has finally, you know, it started out like, okay, we're going to make it do exactly what it did, but better. Uh, and, and, but there were some, there were some voices out there saying, well, why do we have to do exactly what we're doing now? Um, maybe there are things we're doing now that are not important. And maybe there are things we're not doing now that are really important. And maybe we should spend a little bit more time thinking about those questions rather than just blindly forging forward and saying every single thing that it does now, every single detail has to be, has to be there, has to be the same, except better. Right. <laughs> uh, and so now um, we're actually having monthly meetings of sort of, I, I, I I hesitate to say sort of upper levels of the company, people who can contribute expertise from different points of view in different areas of the company, I think is the best way to put it. And it does include um, the upper management, obviously, uh, but not again, not in a, this is how you're going to do it way, but in a, these, these are the concerns of the whole business. Let's not forget them kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a helpful, helpful way for them to contribute, not as deciders, but as people who have a bigger picture than some of us do and can see how what we're talking about might fit into that or not fit into that picture. And so it really is, it really is very much sort of a, a an organized group conscience process where we, we, we split out into smaller groups to talk about various topics. We come back together and say, well, this is what we talked about. This is what we think. And then everybody gets an opportunity to say, well, what about, and that sounds great. Or this sounds like, um, I don't know. And, uh, you know, it's a very interesting, interesting way to, uh, uh to run a, a business. <laughs> right. Uh, and it, and I think it's working. I really think, cause sometimes you can do these things and you end up with, I don't know, position papers or white papers or whatever, and then nobody does anything about it. And, and I, and that's really not what's happening here that that in fact as we as we make decisions as we come to conclusions about what what to do and what to do next 
then people are taking those away and starting to do them like, almost immediately. Um, so it's it's pretty cool, and it, it really does um, show how the principle here, I mean, we're not obviously having a higher power, explicit higher power that we believe is speaking through, but we are doing a very similar process. Um, so I don't know, how, do you, how, how, how have you used this tradition in personal life or work life or... Um, the, the example that pops into my head, speaking of work, um, we don't have really that sort of a, everyone contributes and communicates and uh, it's, I work for a a pretty big corporation, but at, at my smaller level, um, you know, in meetings, what I've been finding lately is that I'm a little less uptight. Um, I'm kind of opinionated and some might even say bossy at times, um, (laughs) And I'm not in any kind of position of authority, so. Um, but I've been there long enough that you know my opinion is is considered. And um, but you know there was a time a while ago before before I got in the program um, that, and sometimes still today, but I catch myself when um, I'm arguing about not arguing, but you know I have an opinion about something, and and maybe my my supervisor wants to do it differently, and I will sort of, you know, argue for my point. Mm -hmm. And if I don't feel heard, then I will repeat my point. You know, Mm -hmm. there's that fine line between uh, the controlling versus, you know, trying to, trying to shove, you know, your opinion through. And I used to, I used to shove my opinion through a lot more. And lately, um, I do have that faith that maybe if it doesn't go the way I think it should do, that maybe it's possible that it's not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, having that uh, that faith that, you know, as a group, we will end up doing the right thing. Um, we get a lot of intelligent people. We've got, um, you know, and my higher power is still with me at work. And, um, you know, my boss yes. has a higher power yes. and my coworkers have a higher power. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's not all about me. And I, I think I'm getting better at, at realizing that and sort of letting things go. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it's okay if we don't do it this way this time. Um, I'm sure it'll be just fine. It'll work out the way it's supposed to. And um, I find myself getting a lot less stressed out. And sometimes they'll even come around full circle and they will end up trying it the way I suggested because, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it was a better a better way, maybe not. So in in that respect, yeah, I used to I used to want to control a lot more. Um, so that's sort of how it's uh, it's come it's come through for me. But I was uh, looking at Ruth's as well when she was talking about. I mean, that's kind of what what she is talking about too. Um, having that faith that um, you know she she opened up and spoke her mind and then sort of let it let it go without mm-hmm. trying to mm-hmm. force it or have all these hidden feelings of, you know, anger. She put it out there, let it go. And it worked out fabulously. And everyone seemed to do what they needed to do. And that, that can work in a family also in a, in a relationship. Um, harder, I think sometimes because sort of, sometimes I feel like more is at stake emotionally maybe in, you know, in a family situation or in a relationship situation to just be able to say, well, this is my opinion. And then, and then let go of the outcome is, it's harder for me. I don't know. Um, 
the other thing that if I if I follow this tradition reminds me that maybe I'm not supposed to take charge. Um, and again, I, I, I'm spending a lot of time at work these days, and it's it's been stressful, uh, exciting, uh, all that good stuff, right? And there's so much going on. There's so much going on. There's so many different projects all happening together that are aiming towards this, you know, goal that, that we're working towards. Um, I can't, I physically can't have my fingers in all those pies as much as I want to, as much as I, I, I'm something like the fifth person who was employed at this organization ever. And so in that respect, you know, I have a lot of longevity and a lot of opinions and, and sometimes feel like I know how we should do something. And I hear some people talking about something that they're working on, which is not what I'm working on. And, and maybe I want to jump in and say, Oh no, 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 you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. This is not how we should be doing it. And, and I, and I can be gently reminded that, you know, there is, there is a higher power that everybody is working to do their best. Um, and that one of the ways for me to do my best is not to try to take charge of everything around me. Uh, it's something I keep practicing. <laughs> I keep getting new opportunities to practice it as, as we say, another right. effing learning opportunity. Um, all right. Um, any other thoughts on, on tradition two? Oh, I did have one, um, which is that I really see, you know, we talk about the steps being in an order, in the order they're in for a reason. And, and I think that's a little bit less true for the traditions because they cover so many different aspects of things, mm -hmm. but that I really feel like tradition one, um, you know, talks about the, the welfare of the group coming first and tradition two gives us a way um, to ensure that that's what's happening. Um, you know, it's sort of, you know, it's the, how it works for tradition one in some sense, um, which you're going to, you're going to flip back and, and remind us what exactly tradition one says. Yeah. Tradition one is our common welfare should come first. Personal progress for the greatest number depends upon unity. Right. So how do we get that unity and find that common welfare? By trusting in a higher power and using the group conscience process. Right. We do that through tradition, too. Yes, we do. <laughs> All right. Um, so, closing thoughts. Um, I don't know if it's a closing thought, but okay. um, sort of on the questions to think about, why do we have this tradition? Of course, there's so many things, but, you know, just to, just keeping in mind that there, it's a we program. It's not an I program, definitely a we program, and it did occurred to me that um, the steps and traditions were originally written by and for alcoholics, and they're not much True. ones for <laughs> authority figures in the first place. So, <laughs> so yeah, that might have something to do with it. Yeah. What's the expression? Egomaniacs with an inferiority complex. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, maybe not trusting authority, but wanting to be the authority, something, I don't know. And this, so this, it sort of fits both ways, right? It's, um, 
it it works. Yep, it does. It does work. And uh, I mean, for me, I think it just, as I said at the beginning, it it continues to astound me how well our groups work with nobody being quotes in charge. And I think that this is a big part of why why they do. Well, it helps us all belong. I mean, if we all get yes. a chance to play all different roles in the group, yes. um, we all belong. We don't. We're not yeah. stuck in any one spot. Not we're only an outsider if we choose to be. Yeah. Okay. I did have one other thought, which is one of the ones that eluded me earlier, but I think it does fit with what you just said. That um, in another context, where um, I work with with teens and my church community. And when we come together uh, for a weekend event um, with teens from maybe several different churches coming together, we always sit down and and develop a, a covenant of behavior, how, how we're going to be with each other for the weekend. And and one of the uh, one of the cute little phrases we have our slogans, you know, that that often ends up on this covenant is is step up, step back, which when we unpack it, it means. Everybody is encouraged to participate, but not over-participate. So step up for something, you know, step up, say your opinion, contribute to the, the group activity, and then step back so somebody else has a chance. And that really is the way that, that we try to do service in our program. That's exactly, yeah. I don't yeah. know, have you just created a new al slogan? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So we're going to take a little break. Uh, we'll continue after um, a musical break with Our Lives in Recovery, where we will talk about the meetings that we attend and about what's happening in our lives. And our song for the break is Steve Earle singing his song, City of Immigrants. And I, I see this song as a as a metaphor uh, for um, Al-Anon as a whole um, in our groups, where Al-Anon is a city of immigrants that we all come to the program seeking a new life, just as an immigrant comes to a new country seeking a new life. And uh, Tradition 2 is helps us to work together despite coming from all our different places and all our different lives, uh, helps us to work together to find that new life for, for all of us as a group. Thousand beats singing a line. 
this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. Adrian, you want to start? I do. Actually, this week I was very excited to get back to meetings. I did what I had, I should never do uh, the previous week, and I missed uh, almost all my meetings. I was dealing with some family things, a surprise birthday party, and I had family visiting in oh, town, wow. and like all the reasons where I should probably go to extra meetings. <laughs> and instead, you don't go to any. Instead, yes. I skipped them all, and uh, so I was very happy to get back to some meetings uh, this week. And it's funny that you said that you you just had a step eight meeting because I just that just came up um, at a at a meeting also talking about step eight. Um, which is when you you know you're making your list of people you had harmed, and uh, we talked about the difficulties of just that. You know how do you uh, how do you want to make amends to people that you feel have harmed you, um, and uh, you know sort of figuring out how to get into your own part in that um, you know your own side of the street, um, and uh, also second step. Uh, meeting this week, and I think that's probably because it's the second month of the year. There, you'll find a lot of second tradition, second step, um, and uh, that, of course, is extremely relevant to our our topic today too. Um, the uh, being, you know, just the focusing on the fact that uh, we do we can't control everything we or we can't tr- control anything uh, actually, and uh, realizing that you know, I guess the relief that comes realizing that there is there is some power that can uh manage everything uh and as for um putting Al-Anon into practice in my life it's been a, a rough couple of weeks uh in the sense that i've had a couple of people very close to me in my life uh struggling uh either health-wise um struggling with their own addictions and Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's been very hard for me because my, uh, my reaction is to want to jump in and help people or fix things. Um, and none of this has anything to do with me. And, uh, so that's where Al-Anon comes in to help mm-hmm. me take a step back, uh, and provide the, my loved ones with love and support. And that's it. That's about all I can do. Um, and then I start getting to more meetings myself. <laughs> um, I think that's it. So, yeah, there's been a lot of triggers uh, in the last couple of weeks. And, uh, and, and your program is helping you to uh, continue yes. to, to have a life. Eh? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the difference in the, you know, how I would have reacted a long, you know, a long time ago, a couple of years ago, uh, the difference would have been I'd have been all up in everybody's business telling them how they should be doing stuff and what they're doing and questioning and uh, it's not my place and uh, it's not healthy for me so yeah and and probably getting less sleep and I'm sleeping like a baby awesome. it's yeah it's awesome. amazing actually with all this stuff going on I, I really thank Helen on for that yeah well my week um, I I've been meeting fairly frequently with a sponsee who's facing uh, some difficult decisions about some fairly major things and is just needs to talk about what's going on, how they're feeling. Um, and that really 
is encouraging me to work the part of my program that says, don't give advice <laughs> to be, to be supportive, to help, to help them think through maybe to, um, you know, well, for example, to suggest, Hey, I th- sounds like maybe you need to spend some time in prayer and meditation here. Uh, you've got this thing kind of circling around in your head, just going buzz, 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 and, and, and you need to find a little time to actually have, have a quiet mind. And, and, you know, those sorts of, those sorts of sponsorous things, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, this is service. Um, and it's, it's something I'm willing to do because I care for the person, but also, um, I find that again, uh, sometimes in, in odd ways, it, it, is helping my program. For example, on Wednesday, I was working late at work because there was, you know, there was, I mean, there's always stuff that needs to be done. Okay. And my primary collaborators on this particular piece of work are in California. So they, they're going to work three hours later than me, even if they end on time. And if they work later into the evening, you know, they could be working till 10 or 11 my time. And so that sort of encourages me to, to stick around and keep going. And so I was at work and I had taken the bus to work. So normally I would take the bus home, have dinner, get in my car, drive to the meeting and watching the clock. And it came to the time where, okay, I'm not going to be able to take the bus home and get the car and drive to the meeting. Well, not, and, and certainly not have dinner. Uh, I'd, I, I, or I would be late for the meeting, which I suppose that's okay too, but you know sort of set these deadlines, like, well, if I'm not out of here by this time, I'm not going to make it to the meeting. So I could I could go a little bit later, and I could take a bus that would drop me off in front of the meeting, and then I'd have to get a ride home from somebody, and I've done that in the past. And 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 I was considering that, and the, and the sponsee texted me and said, hey, can we, like, meet before the meeting? Oh, and then I was considering, well, I could, I, I really, you know, I need to keep working here. I'm not going to really be done in time. Uh, <laughs> and so maybe I just won't go to the meeting, which has been a problem um, for a while. That, and and then my sponsee texted and said, can we meet before the meeting? And I said, yeah, if you give me a ride. <laughs> so, yeah, so the situation got me to the meeting. And I was really, I was glad for many reasons because um, it's not, it's not healthy for my peace of mind to, to skip a lot of meetings, but also it was the first Wednesday of the month. And so it's, it, we had that first step, first step lead and the person giving the lead, you know, I knew some of her story, but the story that she told this Wednesday included a lot of other parts of her life that I don't think I had really been aware of, or at least in the detail that she talked about it. And it really, really helped to, um, just give a, you know, give another facet of understanding on the process of how the disease of alcoholism affects us so deeply. In fact, um, she read from the, the first paragraph of the, the step one section in the book, How Al-Anon Works, um, just the first couple of sentences really says each of our lives has been devastated by someone else's drinking. We have been profoundly affected by the disease of alcoholism. Its effects continue to permeate our lives. So there's some strong words in there, devastate mm-hmm. profoundly permeate. Uh, and, and then really through her own story, 
illuminated how those words really applied in her life and and that the rest of us maybe could identify with pieces of that and see how those words may be applied to our lives because i know when when one of my meetings when we do a first step table we read we read that part from the book and and i i guess this is part of my codependency still i am looking at you know the person or the people who are the there for the first time and just wondering like well do they feel devastated do they feel permeated <laughs> do they feel like they're profoundly affected mm-hmm. um you know trying to take responsibility for their feelings okay um, yeah keep coming back spencer <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and so to have her highlight those words and really talk from experience as to how those were relevant um and correct for her her experience i think it was it was it was a good thing for me to hear that and hopefully for other people so i'm really glad i made it to the meeting and i wouldn't have got to the meeting if i hadn't been doing service mm-hmm. um so that's that's uh um and you know the work thing uh, talked to some about that already um probably don't don't need to go back to that that uh, just using the program Using the program at work helps to keep me sane. Um, helps mm-hmm. to keep me from being totally overwhelmed. Um, and you talked about sleeping, and I really, I think I have been sleeping pretty well. Maybe not quite enough, but that's the way that goes. Uh, but I've been able to let go of the worries of the day, of the week, of the month. Um, we're feeling we're feeling some financial stress um, that basically comes out of borrowing too much money over the past twenty years, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and it's and it's piling up and um, and I have in at times gotten really affected by that. You know, are we going to make it to the next paycheck without having to pull money from some other source? Kind of thing. Um, Oh my God, there's, you know, there's these bills still coming and is there enough money in the bank account to cover them and buy groceries? Um, and, you know, there always is, but I don't like to just be sort of squeaking by. And, and so I would wake up at three or four in the morning sometimes and, and these little, you know, this would come up like, Oh my God, how are we going to ever going to, you know, it's going to, and, and I can use, I don't know exactly how, what I do. I mean, you know, there's various tools, but basically just to some extent, just saying, um, you know, you're, you're powerless over that at this moment. There's nothing I can do about it at three in the morning. Right. Um, and, and just sort of consciously setting it aside, not ignoring it, but setting it aside because it's not something <clears throat> I can, I can, achieve anything with and then i get back to sleep and this is sort of a new experience for me at being able to do that Uh, it's good too um yeah okay so yeah my week next week um i actually pulled a topic that um was suggested by one of the emails we'll read later Um, and i don't know if i'm expressing this exactly the way that the that the writer meant it but it seemed it seemed like a topic that um, 
it's a topic that has come up for me for um, at least one of my sponsees um, in in recent times, and and it's a good one. Um, the way that that the writer expressed it was something like intuition versus uh, higher power. And so what the topic that I chose for next week is, is it intuition or is it the will of my higher power? What does that mean? Well, pretty um, intriguing. yeah. So we welcome your thoughts. Um, join the conversation, leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or questions about, is it intuition or is it the will of my higher power? And, a couple of questions that I came up with beyond that. Um, you know, how do I know my higher power as well? I'm told to pray for my the will of my higher power in step 11. Uh, but how do I know if I'm hearing it? How do I know, you know, is it me? Is it, is it God? Is it something else? Um, is intuition the same thing maybe as the will of my higher power? If it's something just feels right. Um, and I've, I've heard that expressed by, by some people, um, talking about recovery. So what do you think? I really want to really want to hear what what you think. So how can people tell us what they think, Adrian? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 7 does really call right now? <laughs> yeah, cuz it goes to voicemail, so you oh, call okay. right now, you know. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at com. Awesome. And uh, what what where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Our website, therecoveryshow.com, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, a blog with periodic meditations, and links to the music we play. We've also got some links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. Including the Al-Anon Journal, where we took our reading from today. And uh, yes, there are many ways to contribute to the content of the podcast and of the website. Uh, you know, you can leave comments on the blog, you can send us email, you can send us voicemail, um, you can uh, suggest a topic. As a couple of our, uh, our writers that we'll uh, hear from later uh, in the show today um, had topics. You can suggest a topic on the topic list or send us an email with that or whatever. Um, always looking for music suggestions. Um, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard. Um, finding three pieces of music for today's show uh, that I thought related to Tradition 2 took, took some thought and some work. Um, so if you have thoughts about music for... Is it the will of my higher power or is it intuition? Because I could see where that might be a question. Um, oh, music. I didn't even think about that when I picked the topic. Uh, so let us know. Um, you know, just come join the conversation. And if you'd really like to join the conversation, literally, you could consider being a guest host by, by telephone or by Skype or Google Hangouts. Email to feedback at com if you're interested. And, in, in, you know, we've had a couple over the last uh, month or so. We had Ruth talking about Tradition 2. We had Michelle uh, telling us her story of uh, addiction and relapse um, in her loved one. And, uh, you know, we'd love to hear your voice because I really feel like um, the more voices we have here, the more, um, the more people can identify um, with what they hear. And uh, so the next song, uh, we'll take a little break here uh, with Bob Dylan. He's singing Trust Yourself. Uh, and I, you know, I think I heard this song before, but it didn't, it, 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 I found it again this morning. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, and, uh, 
I feel like working tradition too requires a lot of trust. And many of us in Al-Anon have trouble in trusting others and in particular in trusting ourselves. And so this song lists a different, a bunch of different situations and ways in which um, you might learn to trust yourself or find trust for yourself. And uh, for example, some of the lyrics, trust yourself, trust yourself to know the way that will prove true in the end. Trust yourself, trust yourself to find the path where there is no if and when. And, and it just goes on. And it's a great song, I thought, for this, uh, for this topic. Trust yourself. Trust yourself to do the things that only you know best. Trust yourself. Trust yourself to do what's right and not be second guess. Don't trust me to show you beauty. Welcome back, and we had uh, a number of uh, emails and voicemails today, and uh, I'm going to start out with a, a um, email from Madi, who sent us a donation, um, and in the with the donation, she said, thank you for everything, guys. You're giving me hope, strength, and really needed smile. Hugs and kisses from Poland, Madi. And I wrote back and said, wow, Poland. And... And she wrote back a, a longer response. Maybe you could read that, Adrian. Sure. Um, I love your show, and I listen to you and Mark almost each day. For the last year, I've been living in France. I started learning French here, and I still have some problems, and I don't communicate freely. And I prefer to listen to and read things about recovery in English, and in Polish, of course. Even if my French is far from being perfect, I decided to join an Al-Anon group in September last year, and since then I've started really progressing. I live with an active alcoholic, and before that my life was concentrated around my brother, who has a mental illness and whose disease took away my whole adolescent life. I'm learning to get rid of my codependent behavior. During all my life, it was all about my brother, my mom and dad. All my life, I was protecting them, and I was trying to make them happy, and I still haven't told them about some things that happened as a child. Thanks to Al-Anon and my work with the program, I'm starting to notice my role in all of those situations. I'm starting to be egoistic in a good sense, and I'm trying to take responsibility of myself and let go and give away all those responsibilities which are not mine. I'm really progressing here with my alcoholic. But next week I'm going to visit my family, and I admit that it's going to be kind of challenging. It will be the first time since I've started my recovery. I'm trying to not put too much expectations on it, and even if I would like to feel better, 
when I'm going, going to be with them, I'm not sure if it'll be possible. I think it's too early, but who knows? Maybe I'll be positively surprised. Thanks to your podcast, I don't remember in which episode you were talking about it. I understood that I'll have the right to take care of myself then. I want to give myself permission for some breaks, for long walks, for meditation, and for going to meetings there. I will be attending my first Polish meeting, and I'm super excited about it. Though I'm already a member of a Polish Al-Anon group, which works on the internet, I think that talking in my mother tongue in real, in, in real will be at the same time a weird and enriching experience. God bless you, Spencer, and all your co-hosts and guests. You're an everyday inspiration for me, and I'm really grateful for everything that you do. I'm still a bit sad that Kelly and Swetha are not there anymore. Their participation and their honesty had a huge and positive impact on my recovery, and I'm really grateful for them as well. After all I've heard about you, your struggle and your victory in your everyday life, I treat you like a friend, like a member of my wonderful Al-Anon family. I'm sending you warm hugs from France, Maddie. P.S. Hold your fingers crossed for me and my stay in Poland next week. Fingers crossed, Maddie. Um, and, and thank you for that, uh, for that note. And it's good to know that um, we are reaching out to, to people all over. And that um, we're hoping... Got a, a short uh, voicemail from Anne. I still often rely on your podcasts in the wee small hours of the morning to lend some balance to my, well, thinking. You quickly help deliver me from my foggy confusion and worried ruminations. Thanks for that, Anne. Um, and, uh, I really, you know, I thought it was interesting when I first played this. I got, music? What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously, that was playing in the background while she was recording it. Um, and Anne used the uh, the voicemail button on the website to to send that. Uh, we had um, a letter from Sarah with thanks and a topic suggestion. Sarah says, hello, Recovery Show friends. This is my first time writing you, and I wanted to pour my heart out and tell you how grateful I am to you all for this podcast. I found you in desperation in September 2013 on iTunes, and you have been my lifeline to serenity ever since. I'm kind of an OCD type person and never ever like to go out of sequence when I listen to podcasts or read a book in a series or see movies in a series. Sometimes I get so bad that if I find an author I want to read, I need to read their books in the order they were written. Ha ha, I am trying to break myself of that terrible restriction because there are just so many books and so little time to read them. What... Is it, Swetha always says, progress, not perfection? Anyway, currently, I'm only up to the amends episode from September 2013. Well, so uh, it'll take you a little while to get to this when we're reading your letter, I guess. Anyway, a quick background. I am a single working mom of a three-year-old who has pretty much had my life devastated career-wise, financially, emotionally, by my involvement with the qualifier in my life. But I am getting on my feet again slowly. My qualifier is not in recovery, so it's been hard. It has been four years. I went to an al meeting once in 2010, right after my daughter was born, and didn't go to another one until I found your podcast in 2013. I'm kind of bummed out, because when I first turned to al I was living very close to the Ann Arbor area and might have had a different experience had I known your community existed. The meeting put me off because I guess I didn't understand how they worked then. But the ideas, and especially the literature, were lifesavers. I cried and sobbed and shared for an hour and felt put off because the leader just sort of moved me along. I expected to be the center of the universe. I didn't understand the why of things. I was kind of embarrassed afterward. I never went back. I understand now that sharing like that is meant for sponsors or programs one-on-one, not meetings. I wasn't being judged, but they didn't have a newcomer's meeting or such. I'm also an introvert, so when I share, if I get a weird vibe, I just stop sharing. 
Your podcast is so valuable for helping me understand the whys of the program in a way that the meeting still does not. But it was only finding you all in desperation that led me to really get connected to the program and see a change. I now live in a rural area in Minnesota, so it is hard to find a meeting I can attend. I'm a single parent with limited support, so it is hard for me to make many meetings as I don't have the child care available. There are no programs during the noon hour close to my work, but listening to you all and reading my literature makes me feel that I'm working a program. I need and want a sponsor, but I just don't know how to fit one into my current life. I would need someone text email willing, I think. I personally think I would do well with a remote sponsor until my daughter is a bit older, but I know you all push the in-persons. <laughs> in-persons. <laughs> so in any event, a topic I would love to hear are how parents of younger children handle recovery when their partners maybe haven't yet or are relapsing, etc. How do you fit in recovery when you also have to meet the needs of your child solo? How do you parent children and focus on recovery when your spouse is using? Self-care, meaning, sponsorship, etc. seem to be so difficult for the single parent. I mean, even when the addict parent is in our life, I am still essentially the single parent. But I know it has been done. And also, how to raise your children when one parent is using, how to approach it, counteract it, etc. Sometimes I feel like everything I am doing as a parent is setting my daughter up to be an addict herself, or at least codependent. Anyway, thanks for all you do, and please never stop. And hopefully you haven't already covered all this in more recent episodes, as that could very well be the case. And then I would have to be embarrassed for myself, <laughs> Sarah. So um, I have, I have a, a few things to say um, in response here, and uh, and hopefully you'll hear it before it's been you know another five months or whatever. Um, first, uh, we we really haven't talked about that, and it it's something that I feel like I have a little bit of experience with, although my kids were twelve, eleven, ten. Somewhere in that range, um, when I was new in the program, um, and when my spouse was still drinking, and I think that is different from three. Um, they are able to, you know, take care of themselves to some extent, and and leave me a little bit more time um, when I'm when I was single parenting, either because my wife was drinking or because she was off in rehab. Um, but I, I, I feel like, I think this is something that has been asked before, not exactly in this way. I think, um, we had at least one other letter asking for a similar topic and I need to reach out. It, it, it's reminding me to reach out to, uh, people in my meetings who are in that position and, um, who I think have some experience, uh, strength and hope to, to share, um, about those questions of, of how do you make this work? Um, and uh, I I totally identify with having to read series in order um, to the extent that uh, I I will go to the library and I'll see a, a new book on the shelf and I'll pick it up and it'll say you know book three in the such and such series and I have to go find books one and two before I can read book three. Um, I have totally one <laughs> I have one series that I have read actually several times now uh, that. I can. There's actually there's a couple of series that 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 have this feature where I can choose to read them in the order they were written, or I can choose to read them in chronological order for the the characters in the books because the the author did not write them in chronological order. Um, the author maybe sort of started in the middle of the story and then went back and filled in earlier parts. And so, you know, which is the right order? Oh no. <laughs> so I totally identify with that. And uh, uh, Val sent us a donation and a nice note. She said, hi, Spencer and co-hosts. Just wanted to say hi, and thanks to Michelle for sharing her story in episode 58. 
My son is a bit older than hers, and things have been on a slower burn in his life, but in general, I could really identify with her story. Love the show still. Huge thanks. Regards, Val. And Val, it's really nice to hear from you. I'm glad you're still out there. Um, last week, Julie wrote to us about trauma bonds, and she sent some helpful links. And then this week, she sent us a short note. Uh, can you read that one? Heard the show today. Pretty powerful. Love Jessica. Great host. I have already forwarded it to a friend I met while we were both attending family weekend for our loved ones. Just got the book on trauma bonds in today from Amazon. It is called The Betrayal Bond, Breaking Free of Exploitative Relationships. Is that, is that correct? Expl- exploitative, <laughs> exploitative relationships. There was a lot of talk about how substance addiction can play a pivotal role in this. I'm usually in bed and asleep hours ago, but I can't put this book down. Such a timely read for me. Thanks again, Julie. And uh, I'll, I'll try to put up a link to that um, on the website. We got a topic suggestion. Dear reader, I listened to your podcast in the Netherlands. Yes, you reach far. I have an idea for a topic, intuition versus higher power. And uh, as you heard, we're uh, we're going to try to do that next week. We'll see how it goes. Uh, success with the show, and thank you for making it. Kind regards, Tiki Tiki. And as we heard from uh, from Sarah, uh, who found us on iTunes, um, we like to stay findable. We like to to show up near the near the top, so people can can find us easily. And so iTunes reviews and ratings um, help that to be possible. So um, if if you find value in the show, um, please consider uh, rating us or and or giving us a review. Um, if you don't want your name to show up, you can just uh, just give a rating and uh, and not a review, and it doesn't show your name. You can also listen live as we're recording, and um, you know we didn't get anybody today. Uh, sometimes we have a, a chatty group, and sometimes we got nobody. Just click on the listen live link at the top of the page. While listening, you can interact with us and other listeners in the chat room. To get to the chat room, just click on the little speech bubble at the bottom edge of the player. We are planning to record our next episode on Sunday, March 16th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That works out to 19 Greenwich Time. And it doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show. We do have expenses, which are running about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. First, we have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Maddie and Val did. We've also put together a list of recovery-related books. You can find these by clicking on the books link at the top of the page. And if you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we receive a small commission. In fact, if you order anything from Amazon after you click on one of the links, that will help us. It costs you nothing extra, and it helps to keep us going. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. We are here for you. Adrian, you want to introduce our last song? We will close the show with a cheerful song about joining together, called appropriately, Join Together by The Who. Here are a few lyrics. Do you really think I care what you read or what you wear? I want you to join together with the band. There's a million ways to laugh and everyone's a path. Come on and join together with the band.
for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If you did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.